Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, everyone. (laughs) What caught your funny bone? (laughs) I don't know. I didn't know what to say. (laughs) That's okay. We can just say hello. Okay. Hi, everyone. Hello. See, we're stumbling because I told Wendy, or Wendy reminded me, I had told her earlier, that the intro says, welcome to the Christopher West, Ask Christopher West podcast. But we usually say it, so it ends up saying it twice. Okay. We didn't know that because we don't listen to our own podcast. <laughs> but somebody told us, hey, you know, you're, anyway. Well, here we are. We're excited to be here with you on our podcast. And thank you for all your support for our work. We're Happy to have your questions. Happy to have this time together, working together. I have the benefit, Wendy, of traveling and hearing how many people are listening to the podcast. And yeah. There's so many people out there who have really been blessed by this podcast. Yeah. And may I say so, it doesn't surprise me, but in a particular way by your contribution to it. Thank you. That does surprise me, but praise God, that's Indeed. okay. We talk sometimes about your travels. I'm not a big traveler. Sometimes people do ask me that question. Do you travel with Christopher? I typically don't. I typically stay home. Occasionally and, we go. Yes. But it's pretty occasional. But not usually. But I did take a trip just recently with our daughter, Beth. It's the second time we had a mother-daughter trip. The last one, she was only 10 years old. So mm-hmm. uh, she's 16 now. And we took a few days road trip together. And 16 means? Yes, yeah, she has a learner's permit. She's learning to drive. And so a good time to take a road trip, get some practice on different highways. And uh, it was a great time. Great time in the car. Lots of good conversation about things that were important to her heart. And, of course, important to my heart, too. And we had... Plenty of firsts, driving-wise, like, got a lot better at changing lanes on the highway. And go, even, Bethy, go, I, Bethy, that's go, right. go, go, Bethy. Even passing a slower car just because it's going too slow, you right. know, like, I don't have to change lanes, but I'm going to do it. It was pretty exciting, all those firsts. But we had a first we didn't wish to have, which was that we got rear-ended. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a bummer. So, <laughs> it was kind of a crowded highway situation Beth was driving and she had to come to a stop because the car in front of her stopped and she did a great job she didn't get too close to that car but the car behind us must not have been paying as close attention and sure enough we got that bump of getting rear-ended and Beth didn't even realize what had caused the bump (laughs) because it was a a manual transmission car and having come to a complete stop she was actually like working on shifting back into first gear. And she thought she had just stalled somehow in that process. So she thought it was her fault. And I said, oh, we just got hit. And she just was so shocked we did. But fortunately, neither car was particularly damaged. So thank God for that. And I was there to kind of show her what you do, Mm -hmm. getting out and talking to the other driver. So it turned out to be a good learning experience, although not one we really hope for. I must say, I am very proud of our Beth, who's doing very well on the road and driving manual transmission mm-hmm. adds a whole new, whole different dimension. Mm-hmm. She's doing great. In yes, all she is. Very definitely. proud of her. All right. Good so. job, Beth. <laughs> Here's a question from a listener named uh, Madison. So, Madison says, what does 
Theology of the Body, teach about individuals with disabilities. Mm. She goes on to say, it has been my personal vocation and privilege to educate children with a variety of special needs, physical, emotional, intellectual, etc. These children and families encounter serious difficulties due to their bodies. Yes. And I'm not sure how to reconcile the truth of theology of the body with this. Bless you, Madison. It's a very important question. And I wonder, I wonder here, I just hold this out for all of us to reflect on. There seems to be in some circles in the church a kind of romanticized idea about the theology of the body that oh, the body's so great and so beautiful and so wonderful, and it's a sign that we're called to ecstasy, and isn't that awesome? And all of, the, all of that is true. Mm-hmm. All of that is absolutely true. But the way to that glory, the way to that beauty, the way to that ecstasy, we could put it this way, John Paul II actually does put it this way in a retreat he gave before he became pope. He says that the journey, the way to the glorification of the body is the humiliation of the body. Mm. That's not fun. That's not something that people typically jump up and down with excitement about. Mm -hmm. But we are all going to return to dust. We are all going to face the ultimate humiliation of the body, which is death. Mm. And that reality of death plays itself out in our lives bodily in a great many ways, from anything from tooth decay to gray hair to age spots and wrinkles to defects in our anatomy that come inexplicably when we're born. Some people are born blind. Some people are born deaf. Some people are born disabled in any, in any number of ways. Mm-hmm. And this brings us face to face with the reality of bodily suffering, bodily pain, and ultimately bodily death. So theology of the body cannot, it's not a Christian theology of the body if it avoids the cross. Mm. It's not a Christian theology of the body if it runs away from questions of suffering. Mm -hmm. John Paul II actually says at the end of the catechesis, this is his final address, which was delivered in 1984, and he, he's encouraging, he's kind of wrapping things up, and he's encouraging the church in the future to develop and apply the things that he laid out in only a foundational way. He admits, he says, what I have undertaken here is a theology of the, uh, a study of the th- body theologically that addresses specific issues that he wanted to look at, but does not address other very important issues Mm -hmm. that are part of a theology of the body that need to be looked at. And he's saying, please take this up, study these Mm -hmm. areas. And one of the way, one of the things he mentions specifically is suffering, Mm -hmm. suffering and death, which he says are so integral to a proper theology of the body. Madison, I commend you for really wanting to look at this directly And honestly and sincerely, I would point you to a deeper meditation on the sorrowful mysteries of the Lord. Uh, If you're a faithful prayer of the rosary and you're going through those mysteries, you will find much, much food for thought and much consolation in dealing with this question by 
entering into prayerfully the sufferings of the Lord that he experienced in his body. And I'm sure I've shared this quote before in a previous podcast because it's one of my favorites. So insightful from John Paul II. He says, if God's son has not borne in his own body the sufferings of mankind, the idea that God is love would be false. That is a profound statement. In other words, we could flip it around and we could say this. It is true that God is love, or we know that it is true that God is love, because God himself showed his love for us in this, that he bore in his own body. First of all, that he took on a body and then bore in his own body all of our sufferings. There we know the truth that God is love. As we speak, as we're recording this podcast in mid-September, we and our family are facing something very, very painful in this regard. My sister, Emily, who's just four years younger than I, is in the final stages of cancer. And this question is very close to me right now. Do I, do I believe that I will see her again? Do I believe that her death, her bodily suffering right now, which is very, very pointed right now, very painful, do I believe that that has a meaning and a purpose, that the final word of the body is not death, but the final word that the body speaks is resurrected life? I do believe that. Mm-hmm. I do believe that. It doesn't take the grief away. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make the grief any less grievous, but it does breathe hope into the grief. And I think in our family, and many of our listeners can probably relate to this, we are also experiencing how specifically bodily suffering and bodily needs draw us together as family, but also as larger body of Christ, community, if we didn't have any experience of need, would we experience the bonds of love that we experience? Certainly not the way we do now. We come into the world full of need. We always Mm. have need, and sometimes we're ashamed of that because of particular experiences, but we do. And sometimes they're physical bodily needs, like in the case of those that Madison cares for and with their families. Not all of our needs are bodily needs, but it is a certain way that we experience the call to love and serve and to understand God's heart. Can we look then at our sufferings and the sufferings of others as an invitation to give and receive love? Mm -hmm. So often when we run from suffering, we're at the same time, maybe running from the invitation really to learn what it means to love and be loved. Mm -hmm. Lord, teach us. Teach us what it means to love and be loved. Good stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Madison, for your question. I hope that, that, I'll share one story before we go on, just because it just popped into my mind. I remember I was teaching one of my Theology of the Body classes for the Theology of the Body Institute. This was maybe 12 years ago or more. And there was a man taking the class who was an amputee. He only had one leg. Mm-hmm. And I guess he, was, he had his other leg amputated from maybe mid-thigh down. 
And I remember throughout the week, I was so drawn to him. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was an experience I hadn't had before in the same way. And I was walking back from communion one day at Mass, and he was standing against the wall with his braces or crutches, whatever he used to get around. It was a private moment, and people weren't looking. It was off to the side. But I just, I knelt before him and extended a hand over his leg and just said a prayer. And I really felt, I really felt the presence of Jesus through his wound. Mm. It was very powerful experience. Every once in a while, we get those little insights where the teaching of the church that we are the body of Christ is no longer just a teaching, but it becomes a real lived experience. And that was one for me where I really felt it was Jesus. I was attracted to Jesus's wounds in him. Mm. That's a beautiful story. I have a question here from a listener named Kathleen. Kathleen asks, could you talk to me further about the peace of the interior gates. Oh, good one. Good one, and Kathleen. she says, and how that is developed between husband and wife. Oh, Kathleen. Oh, yeah, I like that question. <laughs> Kathleen is quoting from John Paul II in chapter one of part one of the Theology of the Body, where he's reflecting on the experience of nakedness without shame. One of my favorite sections of the whole teaching And John Paul II says, very interesting, he says, this line, Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife are both naked and felt no shame. He says, this is the key. This is the key for interpreting the original sketch of biblical anthropology. What does that mean? (laughs) The Bible has a vision for us of what it means to be human. And that original sketch of what it means to be human is right there in the first chapters of Genesis. And the key that unlocks that whole picture of what it means to be human, according to the book of Genesis, John Paul II says, is Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Why is that the key that unlocks the whole vision of what it means to be human in the book of Genesis? Because it reveals to us that they experienced their creation as male and female as nothing but a desire to love in the image and likeness of God. And they saw in their bodies, John Paul II says, they saw a transparent sign. In other words, when they saw the body, they didn't just stop at the body. Mm -hmm. They saw the body as a transparent sign of the innermost dignity of the person, that the person was revealed through the body. And it taps into that deep, deep, deep yearning, so deep in there. If we get in touch with it, man, we're raw and it's vulnerable. But we yearn, we ache, we pine to be seen, to have someone see me, not just as something, but as someone. I was thinking of this the other day, Wendy. Uh, I didn't even tell you about this, but I was thinking of your hands Hmm. and how your hands communicate you to me. And I was thinking hands as an abstract concept. Hands, okay? Mm -hmm. Hands are repeatable, right? There are 7 billion people in the world and there are 14 billion hands, you know, Mm -hmm. give or take a few because some people might be missing one or two, but you know what I'm getting at, right? 
so hands in, a, in an abstract way are just repeatable. They're billions of hands. Mm-hmm. But Wendy's hands, when you connect the body with the person, Wendy's hands, your hands are unrepeatable. There are, no, there are no other Wendy hands in the whole wide world. Your Wendy hands are the only Wendy hands there are. And your Wendy hands communicate you to me. That's awesome. That's, that's like your hands are your hands. They're nobody else's hands. They're your hands. They communicate you. Wow. And it was just like it was a, I was thinking on your hands, and all of a sudden, like, I saw the body-soul connection that your hands are your hands. They're unrepeatable. Mm-hmm. John Paul II says, when you see the other body, not just as a body, but somebody, when you see the inner mystery of the person revealed through the body, it creates what Kathleen is saying here, quoting from John Paul II, it creates the peace of the interior gaze. And here we mean P-E-A-C-E. P-E-A-C-E. Peace. Okay. As opposed to conflict or strife, right? Yeah. So it creates peace. Peace, because let's look at it from another angle. When we are merely looked at as a body and we're sized up and evaluated based on whether or not we have pleasing characteristics and whether or not we can rouse someone else's lust, Mm -hmm. this creates not peace. This creates fear. It's precisely the fear I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Wow. To the degree that we are in touch with our desire to love and be loved, we don't want to use and be used. To the degree that we are disconnected from our desire to love and be loved, we often settle for a desire to use and be used. And so women will be prized in our culture if they have a certain figure and body type because that rouses the usorial attitudes and attentions of men. But if they're really in touch with their desire to love and be loved, that's going to create a conflict. That's going to create not a peace. That's going to create a fear. And we cover our bodies in a fallen world not because they're bad, but because they're so good. And we we feel or should feel an instinctive need to protect the goodness of the body from the degradation of lust. The peace of the interior gaze comes in as much as we see the whole body. I'm going to extend that experience I had with your hands. Okay. Not just your hands reveal you, but your hair and your ears and your eyebrows and your eyes and your eyelashes and your nose and your chin and your cheeks and your neck and your shoulders and your whole body mm-hmm. reveals you to the degree that I gaze upon you and see you through your body, that creates a peace that I'm being seen so long as being seen, you're being loved. Okay. You're being honored. You're being acknowledged. Seen and loved. Seen and loved. Mm. Seen and loved. Being seen and loved. That's the peace. Peace of the interior of gaze. Of the interior gaze. Because you're not stopping at the surface. Mm-hmm. Lust, tragically, exchanges the peace of the interior gaze for the lust of the exterior look. Mm-hmm. But I forget the question. What was well, the question? Well, how does it sort of, uh, the question was, how is it developed between husband oh, and wife? Yeah, well, I guess I've been unfolding it there you a have. little bit. 
Mm-hmm. Do you have any re- reflections of your own? Yeah, thank you for all you said, and I feel very honored that you just have shared some of the things about seeing me revealed in all these aspects of my body. It's very beautiful, so I'm very touched. And I, I guess some of what Kathleen maybe is acknowledging is that there can be stages to a process in, in yes. arriving at that scene yes. and loved. Yes. And so and we know that journey, it's pains and yes. hurts and but victories th- and defeats all along, you know, mm-hmm. all mixed up. Mm-hmm. I think each unique couple has their own unique journey in that process. And um, I think it's a phrase that we treasure because of what it captures for us. The the peace of the interior gaze is is like experiencing God's eyes mm-hmm. upon us, you know, and oh, yes. that we could yes. be given the gift of seeing our spouse as God sees that person is a prayer of the heart that we cry out for, whether out loud or just in, in our own hearts before God, that He would enable us to see as he sees, you know, and we probably experience little tastes of it that we'll realize what a joy it brings to be able to see as he sees and, and perhaps tastes of being seen in that mm. way. And uh, it won't be perfect. And that's a suffering and a disappointment and a cause for other types of prayer to be able to forgive and begin again. But I think that prayer, let me See as you see, let me love as you love, in a particular way, my spouse. I think that's what that phrase calls us to. I think we can both attest to the double-edged sword of coming to see the other more deeply, because the more you come to see the other as God sees, at the same time, that illumination not only brings this beautiful joy and excitement in seeing in a new way mm-hmm. the person you're living with day in, day out, mm-hmm. sleeping in the same bed, you know, sharing life so intimately. At the same time, it reveals to you how blind you have been in the mm-hmm. past, things you haven't seen mm-hmm. or ways you've not honored your spouse. And I remember in particular a, a time when you you were seeing something new about me mm-hmm. and I had longed for so long to be seen in that way and and you you saw something and I remember your your tears both for the joy and also for the pain yes. of not having seen and I can attest to the same thing how many times the tears of joy get also mingled with tears of grief because you realize how blind Mm-hmm. I have been. Really, the whole invitation of the gospel is an invitation to, as Jesus himself says, come and become one who sees. Mm-hmm. And we're really talking about the peace of the interior gaze is synonymous with purity of heart. Or we could say the peace of the interior gaze is the fruit of purity of heart. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And back to that naked without shame mystery, John Paul says that they were naked without shame precisely because they saw one another. As you were saying earlier, they saw one another with that original good of God's vision. Mm -hmm. God looked at everything he made and said, behold, it is very good. 
So here in married life, as in all of life, the growth comes as we humble ourselves. Jesus says, if you would just admit you are blind, I would give you sight. But because you claim you see, you remain blind. So it requires a real humility. Uh, Like the blind man, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see if we can make that our prayer, we will certainly begin seeing new depths of the dignity of our spouse. Mm-hmm. There's a, another question from another listener that is somewhat related, and I just want to share sure. with you. It's an anonymous question and a short one, but I think it could tie in to what we've been talking about. I think it's from a woman. It says, how do I learn to see myself as beautiful and valuable after years of bullying? Bless you, bless you, bless you, dear anonymous listener. As I just feel that question and try to put myself in this person's shoes, I have a flood of my own memories of feeling bullied, rejected, not seen, not honored, uh, or seen and rejected. That's even worse is to feel somebody saw you and then what they saw, they rejected. Uh, That's even worse. How do we grow? I can just share from my own experience here and say only by coming to learn how to expose those wounds to perfect love. And there's only one who has that perfect love for us is... is, uh, Jesus, Mary, the Father. So I said there's only one, but I guess there's more. The whole communion of saints has that love for us. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. They see us rightly. Mary and all the saints who are on the other side and have made it to the beatific vision, they see us rightly. To know that we are seen and to know that we are loved. And this is where theological ideas are not just theological ideas. Really and truly, our faith, this is right out of the catechism, our faith enables us to possess, even here and now, what awaits us on the other side. And heaven is described as a beatific vision, a seeing and a being seen that is complete and perfect love. Wounds of unlove are healed by the balm, B-A-L-M. Wounds of unlove are healed by the balm of love. And that love, that idea that you are seen, that you are known, that you are loved, that every one of those wounds from every one of those bullies and every, every piercing thorn into your heart from every rejection is known. It is known and it is kissed and it is touched with one who understands, who, who loves not from afar. God is love. Okay, that's a nice sentiment. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me. So, well, well it, it only <laughs> becomes real. It only becomes close to us if the incarnation is real. And the sacraments that continue the mystery of the incarnation are real. They come to us. They touch us. They really touch us where we are. And he has borne in his body already. Every wound, every rejection, every lie, every word that was spoken against you, he has borne. He has suffered that pain, and he's come out the other side. 
knowing the Father's love in the pain, and he can show that same love to us in our pain. If that's not real, then man, we don't have any hope. But if it is real, then we can base everything on that hope. Mm-hmm. When I hear this too, I, I know that has helped me at times to reflect on the Lord. Uh, he has no patience with people bullying. He doesn't think that's Oh, people are just like yeah. that. There's a righteous Amen. anger that the Lord Amen. Um, and we need has to know, we need on to your know behalf. That. We need to see Him yes. turning the tables for us. That's right. He has that on your behalf. This is wrong. It is lies. It is attacking my creation. It is causing harm. And He's angered in His righteous, divine anger about all those things that have happened. I have found that also to be very healing to just sit with that. You know, it's not just your own anger and maybe feelings of weakness or aloneness. The Lord is with you and He has the divine righteous response Amen. to those attacks that have come against you and to allow Him just to, just let Him, let Him tell you how He sees yeah. what has been done. And then let him tell you the truth of who you are, who he made you to be. This was a very, if I may share this story from our own history, this is a very important turning point in our history when the priest we were going to for spiritual direction, mm -hmm. there were patterns in our relationship. We had been married about 10 years at the time and just pattern, unhealthy patterns, mm -hmm. a lot of which were coming from me. I didn't see you rightly. I didn't know how to love you in, in certain ways and, uh, how validated you felt when this priest in the person of Christ said to you, and I'm going to say, I'm going to say the S word. I'm just giving a fair warning here because <laughs> if you want to just be warned, here it comes. But I have to say it this way because this is what really was a, a, a really necessary word mm -hmm. that broke through the funk we were living in, especially for you, and then also for me, mm -hmm. when I heard that this is what he said to you. You were, you were in the confessional sharing patterns in me that were mm -hmm. really a source of pain in your life. And Father said, that's bullshit, and it's got to stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. It was. You needed to hear him say that. Mm -hmm. It was necessary. I needed to, I, that was a wake-up call for us both. Mm -hmm. And Jesus has that fierce attitude in his own heart. You know, a zeal, I love this line, zeal for the temple consumed him. Mm. Well, guess what? Dear listener, you are that temple. Mm -hmm. You are that temple. And zeal for your identity, for you to know who you really are, consumes your Lord. And he's turning tables for you. All those bullies, he is getting them out. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that. So one way or another between here and the final reality, those tables will be turned and your temple will be cleared out of all those who have violated you. And you'll see who you really are. And those who didn't see who you really are will see who you really are. Hmm. That's part of the fun part too. <laughs> That's, yeah, I don't, that didn't come out right. But you know what I mean. That's going to be really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's right in scripture. I love these lines. You know, we pour burning coals on people's heads when we love them, when they hurt us, right? That's good. I like that. I want to see some coals on some people's heads. <laughs> burning. <laughs>
In love, of course. Of course. Okay. Lord, we thank you for these people who've given us these questions today. We thank you for the time we've been able to share today reflecting on these questions. We ask anything that didn't land right in somebody's heart that you would just tend to that person right now. We didn't add the right nuance or didn't clarify something in the right way. Please give our listeners a spirit of discernment that they would test everything and hold fast only to that which is good, only to that which comes from you. Invitation to everybody to consider. We are going to the Holy Land on a pilgrimage. The Theology of the Body Institute is leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Land from February 15th to the 25th. If you go to, we'll put this in the show notes, of course, tobpilgrimages.com, you can learn more. Imagine 10 days walking where Jesus walked, being right there in the dust that he touched, that holy land. Isn't that interesting? And uh, we say it all the time, the holy land. But this land really is hallowed. Consider coming with us. We're going to dive into the themes of theology of the body every day, and we're going to be right there where it all happened. Again, tobpilgrimages.com. We love doing this podcast for you. If it's a service to you, if it's a blessing to you, will you please write to us and let us know? We'd love to hear from you and share this podcast. Click that little share button right now. If this episode blessed you and you know somebody who needs to hear it, click that share button and help get the word out. We'd be very grateful. Remember always, you are an unrepeatable gift. And our prayer for you is that you become what you are. Amen. Amen. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. Go Bethy, go, go, go Bethy, go Bethy, go Bethy, go, go, go Bethy.